0: For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com comments. That's 50% off and limited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Is. Yes. Hi, Em. Can you believe that in the last few hours, Madison LaCroix got engaged?
1: This is just a mind-blowing week. I'm so overwhelmed. I know. So
0: for anybody unaware, she's been dating this guy, Brett, for about six months, and they apparently got engaged. She announced it on her Amazon Live event this morning, which I'm happy for her, although that sentence does sound a little bit sad to say out loud for some reason.
1: I just would die to know what's going through Austin's head right now.
0: I was just thinking about that because I genuinely believe that both Madison and Austin recognize, like in their heart, that being together is not the smart thing and that they're not meant to be. Although I just think it always stings.
1: Of course. And I think he always sort of had it in the back of his mind. But I'm excited to watch now him on Winterhouse and see if the Madison conversation comes up at all, just to feel out how he's felt in the interim between when we last saw him on Southern Charm and like the, the A-rod FaceTime discussion all the way to now and then now her being engaged.
0: Oh, totally. I think it'll be interesting. And I also wonder, and I really, you know, don't know this because I have no idea how much they have been communicating, if at all, but I do kind of wonder. If this would set him off in any way in terms of his own dating life, you know what I mean? Like, I could totally see him going on just like dating Bender for the next few weeks, even though he knows he doesn't want to be with her, even though it's not logical. I just think sometimes you have this emotional reaction to news like this.
1: Especially because for so long, I think he thought of himself as the one that would be proposing to her, would be becoming a stepfather to her son. Mm -hmm. And he thought that would be his reality. So, this is just the ride that we have been on with Madison LaCroix the last what, year and a half, two years, honestly has sustained me in a way that I never thought she would be able to.
0: Which is why, I mean, more power to her. Like, Say what you want about her. She has been able to maintain this level of relevance and I don't necessarily agree with a lot of her choices, but I completely salute her as a reality television figure and I love watching her on my screen.
1: Same. She's captivating and so fun to follow along with.
0: The one other thing that I want to say before we get into Beverly Hills is: did you see the trailer for the Ultimate Girls trip?
1: I (laughs) am so out of my mind excited because this is something we've never done before. We are going to see them in such a different light and interacting with each other. And I almost feel like the magic that we felt being at BravoCon or at some other Bravo events that we've been at, where you see all the women from the other cities, their friendships coming to life in real life we are now going to get on the TV. And I am so beyond excited because Heather Dubrow always says this, it is like a sorority being a housewife, no matter what city you're from. All together, it's like a big sorority.
0: Oh, totally. And for me, at least when I saw the trailer, two things that I was thinking about was, remember when we were discussing it before anything came out, the only thing that had come out was the announcement and then the TikTok that they filmed. And- We were saying, you know, we can't really imagine what the drama is going to be because all of these women don't have the background with one another. And then you watch the preview and you very easily see how some of the drama is starting, just in terms of like people getting on each other's nerves. So I was happy to have an example of that. And then, second of all, when Kyle was on Watch What Happens and she was saying, you know, there are cameras in all of the rooms, which is really different than how they normally film it. And the closest thing that I was thinking to that in terms of Bravo is Summer House and then also Strippergate in Atlanta. And think about the amount of additional content we got from cameras being there, which like, yeah, clearly there's not a stripper. It's not the same Bolo situation, but I do think you get a little bit of a different vibe.
1: And in addition to both of those things, I think it was Cynthia and Melissa were talking about this in an interview that they are not only allowed, but kind of encouraged or it's the topic that comes up about breaking the fourth wall about what it's like to be on housewives and being housewives. So to watch them all sit around and get to like talk about it and acknowledge that as an experience in their life, one of the biggest experiences in their life, that is what we're missing. Like think about it. We're watching someone like Kyle Richards, her life day to day on Beverly Hills without the piece that is missing, which is I've been a housewife for 11 seasons and that's a huge part of my life, but I can't talk about it here. So the fact that we'll get that is just amazing.
0: Yeah. And it's not in an interview style because all of the people that they're talking to also have those shared experiences. So I just think you're so right. I'm really, really excited for this. Like Honestly, this is exactly what we were missing in terms of Bravo.
1: And because I'm rewatching Jersey right now, and it's like the deepest, lowest point of Melissa and Teresa's relationship, Mm -hmm. to then contrast it with seeing them like on vacation together in matching pajamas, getting along. I mean, it seems like they do have a tiff and like they dig up old shit, but the episode that I'm on in Jersey is Melissa saying, I will never look at you or speak to you again. So now they're like going on vacation together and filming a new show together. It's just wild, crazy.
0: It is wild. We have been in a ride with these women for years. Oh my
1: God. And I never want to get off.
0: <laughs> Ever. The one other thing that I want to say before we get into the Beverly Hills reunion also is that there was this Variety article that came out this morning that said, one, they're going to start filming for season 12 sooner than they normally would because they want to capture some of this Erica stuff, which I think is a phenomenal idea. And then second of all, it said apparently most of, if not all of the cast members are coming back, which honestly, say what you want, like a few people here or there could leave. I don't necessarily think this is the season to bring in anyone new.
1: No, I agree. I think they have enough going on with the current cast. And then the Erica thing, I would say fills up 50% of the drama that they would be looking for. And also they're usually on such a strict schedule because it doesn't really matter. Like whatever happens in the off season happens in the off season, but it would be so dumb for them to keep the cameras down when they 100% are guaranteed that they will get some good content and keep up with really important parts of Erica's life and her case.
0: Totally, totally. So we'll do Beverly Hills, Potomac, and and with Salt Lake City. How does that sound?
1: Sounds great to me, kid.
0: (laughs) So I actually- I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because we honestly have not discussed the reunion at all and for me it was definitely not underwhelming I enjoyed every second of it but it was a little bit different than I was expecting not in a bad way necessarily just a little bit different than what I had envisioned the part 1 was going to be does that resonate at all with you
1: oh my god yes I don't think it was underwhelming at all I thought it was actually stronger than I was expecting because of the format because I don't know like why I mean I kind of just made this Assumption on my own that I thought it would be they get all of the women's like show relationship drama out of the way, and that part four or at least one of the parts would be really focused on Erica and that it would be its own isolated thing. Like from the preview, they made it really seem like Andy said, Okay, here we go. Here's my firing off hot topics. But they kind of started off the reunion right away with Erica going in on things about her marriage, talking about dating, and then it was woven in with other things. And I honestly like that because I think there's too much for it just to be a like quick fire question and answer. Like This is now woven into all of their lives and the drama going on with the group. So I'm actually, I was really happy about that.
0: Yeah, me too. I mean, I feel you on the sense of like the isolation thing. That's kind of what I had anticipated as well. And I'm down for it to be weaved in as long as it wasn't reliant on the storyline. Do you know what I mean? Like some of the Tom stuff, of course, feeds into some of their feuds, but some stuff has nothing to do with any of the other women's opinions. So as long as Andy asks everything, whether or not it involves a storyline, that's what I'm here for.
1: I can feel confident now, just given the way that Andy is asking the questions and is giving the answers Not that I think she'll tell the truth on all of them, but that Andy does ask everything and she does give an answer to everything. Based on what everyone has said and based on what I saw last night, I feel like we will feel very fulfilled by the end of the fourth part.
0: Right. Not necessarily that your mind has changed, but that you do feel fulfilled.
1: No, but that she doesn't say, I can't answer that. Because we thought like going into this season even, will Erica be allowed to go to the reunion? Will she be allowed to answer any questions or talk about anything? Like We had no idea, even the season. So now for her to be able to show up at the reunion and give answers to the questions, regardless if the answers are like factual or whatever anyone thinks about them, she's still giving an answer. And that's all I could ask for.
0: Totally. I mean, she starts it out basically by saying that her legal team really didn't want her to do the show for obvious reasons. And You know, she decided that she was going to do it, of course, in the moment she said, because she's not a quitter. And I do believe that. I also think there was a financial incentive, which there's nothing wrong with. I mean, personally, I'm thrilled. I didn't want her to to stop it, but it did confirm all of our suspicions that doing the show was against the better judgment of her advisors.
1: Of course. I think that would be the first thing that any lawyer would say is, get yourself out of this situation where all eyes are on you. There was also a report this week that I think the lawyers had subpoenaed Bravo for all of the raw, uncut footage, anything that they had of Erica, any correspondence they've had with her. So, like we spoke about a while ago, they're really going to sift through the raw, unfiltered footage of her. Like, who knows? They could find her saying something or doing something, sitting in glam, talking to her friends that could maybe sway a decision or be used in court. But that whole idea of that is just really crazy to me. And then on her end, I could see how a lawyer would say, why would you put yourself through that?
0: Right. Not only why would you put yourself through that, but why are you going to make our lives so much significantly harder? You know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was kind of interesting that Andy almost led with going around the room and asking who consulted lawyers because that was clearly a topic of discussion. It was very much a moment that had a lot of contention with it when it was mentioned at Kathy Hilton's house. And you just watch Erica's face as they admit or don't admit to it. And it's it's a kind of unique way to tackle the question because it says a lot without saying really anything.
1: I know. And I also was happy he did that because I think it made it as casual as it actually was. In Erica's eyes, she made it such this big thing of like you consulted lawyers that's so over dramatic of you when in reality they all said either our lawyers contacted us, we asked them questions or we all have friends that are lawyers and we wanted clarification on the situation and maybe in those conversations it was looped in on how we were then involved. But I don't know. I was glad Andy did it because I think that turned the volume down on that. But I also think we will loop back to that later when they get into like the dinner at Kathy's and the whole lawyer thing. I think that will all come back again.
0: I loved when Crystal basically made the comment of like, listen, I talk to my lawyers all the time because it's a very Beverly Hills statement. You know, In in another city, the magnitude of consulting, quote, your lawyer may seem a little bit more intense. Whereas in Beverly Hills, I feel like talking to your lawyer is kind of like you talk to your therapist.
1: Oh, they have like an entertainment lawyer on speed dial.
0: Right. Exactly. One other thing I wanted to mention about Erica's package before we get into some of the other stuff is when she says, and I quote, There's a lot of talk about me being cold and not having empathy or sympathy. Anyone who has not been made whole, I want to be made whole. It's important that people hear that from me, which I do think it's important that people hear that from her because that was probably her number one criticism. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, in general, Erica is not necessarily the warmest person. Like I don't think that's a word people would use to describe her. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just part of her personality. That being said, the lack of Acknowledgement of the victims was really used against her, and as a lot of lawyers had been saying, you know, both online and also just DMing us, that in certain states, even just acknowledging that can be seen as like an admission. So, how much of that was her personality, and how much of that was her purposely not saying it as a way to kind of absolve herself of any of that? So, I felt like it was important, at the very least, for the audience to hear her say that.
1: Well, think about it. Literally throughout the whole season, did she even ever mention them and? All of the women were like, hello, we, especially when they cut up this package, it was like, okay, this has been a lot about you and how hard your life is, but we have not heard one single word out of your mouth about the actual victims of the crimes. And it's only making you look worse. I'm glad that that came up so early on because it almost was like it couldn't go another minute without somebody saying something. The women in their confessionals, but now to her face.
0: Yeah. You know- if you didn't know anything behind the scenes in terms of like some of the things that Kyle has said on Watch What Happens, what would be your vibe of Kyle and Erica's energy from this first part? Could you have picked up on anything, do you think?
1: Between the two of them? No. I don't think so because there hasn't been enough back and forth. And Kyle really was very backseat in this first part, I felt like, in a good way. Like she sort of was not involved in any of the drama that they break down and also was just really listening and reacting, which was great. I think mm-hmm. we will got more of her in two and three and four, but there was that back and forth between Erica and Dorit. Did you see that later on?
0: Yeah. That's a kind of uncomfortable dynamic.
1: I mean, Erica was just trying to make a comment. It was when Rinna and Garcelle are sort of making up. I know I'm jumping ahead, but and Erica like turns to Dorit and says some some sort of like side commentary. And Dorit says, I'm not talking to you right now.
0: Yeah. It's funny because like in general, I, I really like all of the Beverly Hills women. I genuinely do. And I actually really like Dorit. Like no part of me wants her off the show by any means. But I feel like they all have this moment with her when they're like, God, you are so
1: annoying. I know. But you know what? Some of your favorite friends in life you have that moment with, and it's okay. And I honestly totally. think I think she knows things about herself and she feels when she can get annoying. Like even when Andy is yawning, she's like, okay, maybe I'm going too long. And she's self-aware and she owns it.
0: I don't know. I actually would fight you on that one. I don't think that I would describe Dorita as self-aware if I was listening out some of her qualities. I'm not saying she's delusional, but I actually don't think self-awareness is one of her strengths.
1: Yeah, I think she just thinks she has really good points and things to say.
0: Right, which she may, who knows? It just takes, you never really know because it takes so long (laughs) to get there, but people check out.
1: It's just padded by a lot of other words.
0: Right, a lot of bullshit, yeah. Okay, one quick thing that I want to say about Sutton before we move on to some of the Garcelle stuff is (laughs) that package did not do her really any favors because that combined with Kyle's narration of her personality, but there was a part of me that, And this is coming from somebody who in the beginning of the season was not necessarily a fan of Sutton. I actually found it strangely endearing.
1: I've really liked Sutton from the get-go. I feel like I just understood her and I got why, even last season, how she was sort of feeling weird in the group and how she was approaching situations – And I think she has really come into herself as a housewife and it was never more apparent than during this reunion because she could really hold her own. She's much more comfortable being herself and comfortable around these women. And looking back even on this season, I was like, you know what? We are really on a journey with you, like you always say. And I feel like we've come far.
0: Yeah. No, we absolutely have come far. And she, no, this is what it is though. She realizes that she has come far with not just the women, but like with the audience, you know, like I think that she didn't know how she was going to be received, which is understandable for any housewife, but specifically somebody like Sutton who is a little bit, you know, quirky. And so I feel like she has her footing and I love when a housewife gets their footing. Like it's very similar to Wendy from Potomac.
1: And lest we not forget She was filming this season, I'm not sure how long of it, but most of it as a friend of again. And then when everything sort of blew up and she became the whistleblower investigator on Erica and became such a big part of the storyline, they gave her a diamond. So from what we're seeing to now at the reunion, I'm sure her confidence has really boosted just in terms of feeling like she is an important integral part of the show.
0: Totally, which honestly must be, you know, validating for her.
1: Yeah. I mean, she really brought it. You know, you can't say anything else about that.
0: Before we get into Garcelle's package and some of the individual things with Rena and Dorit, I just want to make a more general statement because obviously, at the time that they filmed the reunion, this is after everybody has seen the season and they know going into filming the reunion, how the audience kind of feels about them, right? They all have a pulse check, not just with Beverly Hills, of course, with any franchise. Yeah. And sometimes when you have somebody like Garcelle who had a really stellar season in terms of audience response, they can get on the reunion, certain housewives, and they can have this edge to them that almost feels like, I don't know, a little bit cocky. And what I love about Garcelle is that She of course comes across as very self-assured and incredibly confident, but no part of me viewed her in this reunion, this part one as like arrogant at all. You know, it's like, she knows that she has the majority of the audience at this moment on her side, yet I... I never felt as though she was presenting her case in a way where you would know that she knew it. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and with the assurance like, I know I'm right because everybody says I'm right. How hard it must be to sit there and fight these battles and say, well, millions of people are writing to me every day that they agree with me and every poll says they agree with me and that I'm quote, winning the season. Like that is honestly the best proof that you could have, but you can't say it. And I didn't feel like she was even giving an air to that, which is Must be impossible.
0: I mean, think about kind of the flip side of that, which is Lisa Barlow on the reunion last season. It was the opposite. You know, the audience didn't really respond that welter with some of these Whitney fights, and she was visibly frustrated by that. So it can really go either way. You know, there can be an air of appearing slightly condescending when you know everyone is, or voicing that frustration about the way that you were perceived. And I, I don't know. I just appreciate Garcelle's grace in that way of handling it. Yeah, me too. Let me tell you. This Dorit thing just got off to a rough start.
1: Oh my God. It was not, not good.
0: So Mother's Day is coming up and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. Okay, to start on a positive note, I think that it was productive that Dorit recognized why the use of the word bully was wrong and she apologized, but she didn't really do herself any favors because immediately after apologizing, she then explains why she felt it was different than Erica because Erica's were more you know, isolated incidents or circumstantial. And that's just factually inaccurate.
1: No, it was a stupid example for her to try and give and trying to relate the two because what Andy's question echoed is a sentiment that we say all the time. How is Erica allowed to like flip out at somebody in a way that she did, i.e. at Sutton at the table and nobody says she's a bully, but you know, Garcelle can make small digs at her and make shady remarks and that makes her a bully. And, And Dorit's response just... Uh, it made no. It made no sense. Honestly, I think she just had nothing to say, and that was as close as she could get.
0: Right, and also it's funny how she said that. You know, one of the qualities of a bully is being incessant, which like isn't necessarily untrue. But it, what she was describing and what Garcelle was doing were two completely separate things.
1: Yeah, and like yeah, a bully can be incessant. I guess I'm. I haven't looked up the dictionary definition, but Erica's. Behavior maybe not to the same person or doing the same thing, but over time has definitely been a pattern. It wasn't like she had one blow up one time. Like we've seen a repeated pattern. So this the comparison it's like apples and oranges, but it also I don't really think applies to either of them.
0: Yeah, I mean I I think what's just so ironic about it, and again like in general I would say across the board when a housewife uses the word bully, it's most likely not accurate. You know like yeah, you it's a buzzword. It is a buzzword, but if we wanted to go there just for like one second, to me, when I think of a bully, I think of somebody that instills fear in other people and makes them not want to say certain things because they're afraid of their reaction. And like that is way more similar to what Erica does than what Garcelle does.
1: The definition of a bully is a person who habitually seeks to harm or intimidate those whom they perceive as vulnerable.
0: Okay. Again, I'm not saying that Erica's a bully, but- that is way more Erica than Garcelle. Come on.
1: She could have just said I shouldn't have called you that. It was honestly wrong and it was a buzzword and not even brought Erica into it because it really it weakened her argument by the way.
0: That's what I was saying. Like and I don't I you know what's what's funny about it is that I don't think she was saying it as a way to defend Erica. Like I don't think that she was using that to like, "Hey, while I defend myself, let me also give a point to Erica." I think that she really thought that that was a strengthening thing, but I don't know, just hindsight's twenty twenty. I guess. She could have done better, but we all have our flaws.
1: Yeah, it's not the worst thing she said either.
0: I want to talk about this moment when Dorit says to her, you don't say anything to our faces, but then you say a lot in the confessionals. And Garcelle's response is, first I say too much, now I say not enough.
1: And Andy backs her up a little bit, Garcelle, because he says that's kind of what everybody does. That's quite literally the point of confessionals.
0: Yeah, again, it's like, I... I <laughs> It sucks because as I'm talking about this, I feel like if you're listening and you never listened before, you would think that I like hate Dorit, which really isn't the case at all. I, I like her a lot. I just was really confused as to her reasoning and some of her logic here because that is literally the name of the game. I mean, that's why you have a confessional.
1: Confessionals are looking back. You may have a different thought now looking back on the situation or being deeper into a situation when you're giving your confessionals versus in the moment. Now, there were some points she made, for example, when they're at the dinner at Crystal's and Dorit says, well, if you're so Team Sutton, why wouldn't you stick up for her in the moment? That is a fair thing to say. However, maybe it wasn't appropriate in the moment. Maybe it didn't feel right. Maybe just sitting back and being silent in that moment felt more right to Garcelle, but then she can bring it up in a confessional and do her work there. And by the way, isn't that hypocritical of Dorit? Because how many things has she said about Erica in her confessionals, questioning Erica and not wanting to believe her? And then when they're in person, she says nothing. Well, that's what I'm saying, like you're not wrong, but
0: it just doesn't matter like it's it's not necessarily the point is wrong. it just doesn't help further your argument because everybody's guilty of it.
1: yeah, no, it's just it's
0: really weird. The other thing about that that I wanted to mention, which was interesting, was and i and this kind of goes back to a conversation we had a few weeks ago when Crystal is giving the example of how garcel in her confessional said, you know, I had never heard of Crystal's name before I had heard of Rob Minkoff, remember? Yes. It's so funny because when I heard that, to me, I'm like, yeah, Garcelle was literally just stating a fact. She was appalled that you guys made hearing someone's name such a thing And she was just acknowledging the fact that she had never heard your name. But the fact that Crystal even said that, and I really like Crystal, just goes to show that how in Beverly Hills, that is such an insult and to the point where she brought it up again in this moment as a way to defend or Like, If you take everything else aside, if you didn't realize that we were in Beverly Hills and you just told somebody that and they had never watched Housewives- there's no world in which that could even be deemed an insult because Garcelle was just stating a fact. I had heard the name Rob Minkoff. I haven't heard Crystal. But to Crystal, that was such like a deep burn.
1: No, yes. But Garcelle was saying it in a shady way. Crystal at that dinner made the shady comment on purpose. Like I I had no idea who Sutton was. I've never heard of her. She was the one who said that, right? And then when Garcelle says the same kind of thing about Crystal, Crystal was so offended. And I was like, wait a minute, that is the most hypocritical thing ever. I, Crystal, I like you a lot. And I think it's fine if you want to make that shady comment about Sutton. Totally fine. Like normal kind of thing to say, I guess. But then you can't get turn around and get so upset at Garcelle when she is doing exactly what you just did. Well,
0: yeah, because the thing is Garcelle did it in her confessional and Crystal did it at the table, but either way it was behind the person's back because it wasn't like Sutton was sitting at the table and Crystal said it. And it wasn't like Crystal was in the confessional and Garcelle said it. So they were both a behind the back situation. Garcelle just happened to be in the medium of talking to the producer.
1: And Garcelle was only doing it because Crystal did it first and she wanted to be like, wait a minute. Like that's just, I, I don't know. It's kind of how the cookie crumbles here. Like I didn't know you either, but I just couldn't believe that Crystal was bringing up that—that's like in poor taste to do when she was the one who even started it in the first place.
0: Right. That's that's what i was saying. Garcelle would never originate that insult if the conversation wasn't happening in that way. Like, if you remember, aside from the fact that Garcelle like loves Sutton and is close friends with her, I think just in general, no matter who they were talking about, she was a little bit turned off by the nature of the conversation at Crystal's that day. Anyway, like it just kind of felt dirty. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so this, it was just an interesting hill to die on if you're Crystal, because I think objectively the way that everybody else handled it that day felt like more wrong if you're doing a scale of wrongdoings.
1: I I agree. And I think aside from that moment, Crystal was such a good sounding board for the other issues. She didn't say that much in this part yet, because I think we'll get deeper into her issues with Sutton and other things. But other than that, I was really feeling like I could relate to her the most sitting there, her and Kyle.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Garcelle and Dorit thing end on like a fine note, even after Dorit freaks out at Garcelle and like screams, which was kind of bizarre, but...
1: And says that she does things to be provocative and relevant.
0: That wasn't right. I I didn't like that comment.
1: Because I don't even think Dorit believes that, honestly. I think she just is trying to like put down her decisions and put down the way she thinks and feels.
0: To be honest with you, it's like... Even if you like one specific housewife more than the other, you can recognize that sometimes, like, when two people go up against one another, like, it's more likely that one is going to win based on just the way that they handle situations.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Honestly, and I think I said this at uh, the Rena Beauty lunch that day, like, out of anybody in the group, I think if you put Dorit and Garcelle up against each other, like, Dorriches has the worst chance out of anybody going up against anybody else because their communication styles are just so different, and Garcelle's is so much more palatable.
1: Yes, it's so true.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, I want to take a deep breath before this Rena Garcelle thing.
1: Oh my god. This is a situation
0: where the, in my opinion, the history of the friendship, even if it wasn't so top of mind. I really do think that it contributed to the intensity of these arguments.
1: Me too, because there was actually a friendship and a relationship to fight for. In a lot of circumstances, when there's two housewives like, fighting or root, people rooting for them to get their friendship back, it's because they've known each other for a couple years or they maybe got along really well in the beginning. But it almost felt like the way I used to feel about Kyle and Vanderpump not being friends anymore. Or I don't know, so many different like people that were friends before they came on the show and actually had real relationships that I was like, maybe this is worth a battle. It's not just bullshit fluff to say, let's put it past us and move forward very housewives style.
0: Yeah, and I actually did feel honestly on both sides, like underneath all the bullshit, that there was a sense of sadness somewhere. Like among all of the fighting, I really do think that. This isn't how either of them wanted this to go down.
1: No, me either, because it got really mean and dirty. And I don't think anybody ever wants to go there, especially with someone that they've respected for so many years.
0: I want to start out on a relatively positive note, which is, and whether or not this sustains itself is a separate conversation. But in this current moment, it seems as though the Denise conversation is going to be left out on both sides. And you know what? That's productive because that was something that like, Even if you agree with Garcelle in the fact that like the way Lisa handled it with Denise was wrong, which I think even Lisa will admit and stuff, like at a certain point, it can't be her battle because Lisa wasn't going to change and it was only kind of fucking up their flow. So I'm glad to see that they're both on the same page of like, let's remove that from the equation and see if we still have issues.
1: And I think it only could have been done in the way- that Garcelle handled it and saying, I'm making that decision in this moment. I'm not going to bullshit you and say, I haven't been doing that because we literally see her in the last episode bring it up to Rinna. But she said, right now, here in this moment, I will make that pact to you.
0: Right. And like, just to go back to what we said literally 30 seconds ago, there is no world in which any situation would arise in that way and Dorit would have handled it like that. You know what I mean? Like Garcelle's directness there, she was like, okay, and you're right, I'm done. I'm not going to say it again.
1: And I'm only... Figuring that out in this moment, and I'm not too stubborn to admit it.
0: Right, exactly. So, this obviously was a much more impactful moment when Garcelle says that somebody told her that Rinna said that she should have never brought race into the show and it's not that kind of show, and that really bothered her. Understandably so, of course. And Rinna's response is, You should have come to me directly. I would have never said that. And Garcelle's response is, I don't know that. So, There's like 5 million moving parts here and I want to analyze them because first of all, that statement in a vacuum is obviously terrible whether or not Rina said it. But Garcelle saying that I don't know that proves that she thinks that it's within Rina's character to do that, which is kind of similar to what we were saying in Salt Lake City with Lisa Barlow. Like whether or not she (laughs) did the- just about to say it's the Lisa Barlow effect. Right, like whether or not she did the caterer thing is irrelevant. It's the fact that her friends were so quick to believe it. So those are two things that we have to establish. And I just want to say- and you could tell me that this is completely off. I don't know if this is a fair comparison. I just want to voice to you something that came to my mind when I watched this, okay?
1: hmm
0: Last reunion, when Kyle waited until the reunion to bring up the thing with Garcelle, where she never received the money from the charity event, and Garcelle was obviously really upset. And then later on in this season, she explained to Kyle why that was... Kind of wrong of her to say. And of course, some of the stigmas that go along with that. And she explained how she was upset that Kyle waited until the reunion because it was an attack on Garcelle's character, which I think every single thing there is 100% fair. And I was totally on Garcelle's side in that. To me, though, I kind of felt that she was doing the same thing here. Like that statement is completely wrong. And and if she feels Rinna said it, she has every right to feel upset and hurt by it. But how is it any different of her wanting Kyle to bring it up to her sooner than the reunion since she felt that it was an attack on her character. And then she's doing the same thing with Rinna here. Like, I did think that was a little bit hypocritical.
1: It was. I just don't ever think we got the clarification of when Garcelle heard this and sort of how it came to be. At what point in the season, her frustration with Rinna shifted from residual Denise drama to now potentially this message that she got. Mm -hmm. Like, there was the overlap there. And was that why she was sort of just, Annoyed with Rena or didn't want to trust her or jump right back into things. I think she at this point was forced to say it. Maybe she never wanted to say it. Maybe she hoped for the best and in this moment, you know, was kind of pulling everything out that she could think of. I don't know. That would be a good question to ask Garcelle. I was glad that they were able to hear each other out. They do eventually put it behind each other. But like you said, Garcelle thinking that it's possible Rena would say that and that she wouldn't doubt it is not a great sign for their friendship. And I do think, though, even though her timing of maybe bringing it up at the reunion wasn't great and it could have been a conversation on the show, she handled this as beautifully as I possibly could have thought, really.
0: Oh, totally. When Rinna asks her directly, you were shitted to me all season why?" and Garcelle responds, because I don't trust you. Like, okay, yeah, maybe hard to hear, but that's her being so fucking honest. And like- yeah. I, I don't know. to me, it was like I was amazed that they were able to actually work past it through this, you know, at the end of this reunion because out of any of the people's issues with one another, like, this was probably the most deeply rooted, I guess,
1: right. And there was also more that we knew was not being said because it was an overall just not trusting and dislike for each other and not necessarily a back and forth fight,
0: yes, right. It wasn't. It was more like, I don't like the way that you've changed over the last 20 years. And it's like, well, I don't like the way that you've changed. You know, like they they almost, you know, you know, I know what it was. It was almost as if there was this unspoken level of credibility that they both had with one another in terms of their ability to examine their behavior kind of, you know?
1: Yeah. And even Andy said, like, do you think you guys hold each other to a higher standard? And I think they said yes. And I would agree that even if they said no, that just isn't true. There's so much more history there. And I think because they knew each other before... And there's also the dynamic of Garcelle coming onto a show that Rinna's been on for a couple of seasons and into a group of friends that Rinna has really bonded with. And then Garcelle feeling like she's not included on like the inner circle of the group and Rinna being very much involved in that. So there's a lot of things at play here, but it was really, it got, it was a roller coaster. Like it got so heated. Rinna got like, Pretty like nasty to Garcelle at one point, like you know, saying "Don't tell me what to do" and the all of that. And then all of a sudden, next thing I knew, she was on her lap.
0: Okay, let me be really clear. I'm glad that it ended in the way that it did. Like, I want nothing more than them to be friends. I really didn't like the Harry comment, though. And I love a Harry Hamlin mentioned more than anything, but I did not like this. It felt. I don't know the right word. I just, it felt a little off to me. You know, it was like, oh, we all kind of think that you're unhappy. And and Garcelle's response is like, I check out, I show up. And I felt like Lisa, if she wanted to say that, could have made the same point without bringing in Harry's observation. Do you think that's incorrect?
1: No. And to make Garcelle then feel insecure, like that I'm coming across that way, that it's not just a personal issue between us, it's now that you're worried that something's different about me. Like that was not fair. And I just think overall, Rinna was very focused in this moment on, yeah, making things right, but also very much the theatrics of it. And I felt it was just teetering on a little bit, like just too much.
0: I mean, literally right before we started recording this, Rina posted the photo of her and Garcelle as a throwback saying before Housewives and my thumb is about to fucking fall off from refreshing to see if Garcelle's gonna comment. <laughs> Same.
1: Yeah. I don't know if she will.
0: I don't know either. And honestly, like it's not super telling one way or another. But I just I want like I don't like them fighting. It's not it's not a fight that I enjoy. There are some that I really fucking enjoy. This isn't one of them. No, neither. The little Kathy Hilton walkout when she realizes that this that the uh, set is meant to look like her backyard.
1: Wait, my sister and I could not stop freaking out about them modeling the set after Kathy Hilton's house. We're like, they literally shot three scenes there. That's just how iconic Kathy is. And she, I fucking just, I love her so much.
0: I love the comment that we posted on Bravo last week when the house that she obviously took Sutton to last week is now on the market. And somebody made a comment about like, oh, why would you want to go up all those stairs? And she's like, there's an elevator.
1: And everyone was writing to us. And also 500 people hired on your staff.
0: Yeah, of course. Exactly. Like, you're never walking up those stairs if you forget something, forget it. That wouldn't happen, regardless if you're Kathy.
1: You're not living in a $52 million house and going up to get your own water. Heavens forbid. Yeah. I
0: also want to say that I'm really happy that we got kind of like a tease about them talking more about Tom because, like, I know it must be a little bit painful for Erica, but like the conversations about the Chicago stuff, like, That's what I want to hear. Like I want to hear her say that when she said that on the reunion last season, like she knew there was something off about that and she never felt good about it. And like when you look back, you can tell in that clip she was saying something that she didn't believe. She was defending him and for an action that she knew was indefensible.
1: And the book thing when Andy had asked her on Watch Weapons Live what Tom thinks of the book, and she said, Oh, he hasn't read it. Those are the moments I love because it's like we were there. We were involved in it. We remember that. It's not just things that were going on behind the scenes. Like It's almost like we got to be there and now we're getting the actual scoop of what was going on.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: When Erica says she wants a boyfriend, all she cares about is a big dick. And Sutton and her boyfriend broke up. Oh my God. There was so much.
0: I'm telling you right now, I knew that they weren't going to last when I saw them in that car right on the way to, I guess it was Crystals or wherever it was in the last episode. Like, I don't know. The vibe just felt a little bit off. Remember he didn't want to drink from her thing because she had lipstick. (laughs) Oh yeah. Maybe that was a telltale sign not that I can blame them. I just, I don't know. I felt like they weren't as uh, lovey-dovey as I would want her to be with someone. Yeah.
1: Well, she's dating. So. Yeah.
0: Also, it's funny. Like I never just, can I just go rogue for a second and say something, honestly?
1: Sure. I like,
0: obviously as a straight woman, I understand the appeal of like a large dick. Like I don't think she's off, but if I'm describing the qualities that I want in a guy, like that's just never going to be one of the top you know like it it factually is not the most important when you're having sex with someone it's so much more about their ability don't you think
1: yeah she was just trying to be provocative she now wants to be viewed as this like sex symbol woman and i think kind of get to be the dater and the girlfriend and the wife that she didn't get to be with tom i don't know i really don't know it feels like that's the persona she's leaning into and like if they offered her a playboy spread i would think that that was That's kind of like the direction she wants to go in is like a sex symbol. But if I were me and I had this platform, now it's like literally the best dating app you could ever have is to be on public television. Like, hello, I'm single. This is what I'm looking for. You know, not that I think anyone's like dying to get involved in all this stuff, but you never know.
0: You never know. That is absolutely true. You never know. And I guess I'm saying that if I was putting my qualities that I want to the world. I don't think manifesting a big dick would be the number one after what I just went through with Tom. I think I'd probably manifest like truthfulness and like a
1: kind heart. (laughs) Truthfulness, you know, maybe like, but also I think just overall, she wants the shock factor and she knows how to get it. Totally. Totally. No, I'm just kidding.
0: Anyway, I cannot wait for the next part. I just am so happy to be here.
1: Same. And I love everyone's excitement about it. And Tell us your thoughts. Tell us your thoughts. Remember, these are just our opinions. They're not at
0: all the word of God. Literally, we're just speaking them out loud as we think them and they could change in the next hour. Yep. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. Nothing like starting an episode with a continuation of a salad tossing, yes?
1: I mean, I think that's one way to put it. There is nothing like it.
0: Also, just throughout the course of this episode, watching Karen Huger learn various sex terms was something I didn't know I needed, but God, I'm so glad it happened.
1: I can't express to you how obsessed I am with Karen Huger and how this might have been one of her best episodes of all time, even though she basically had nothing to do with any of the plots.
0: It was so much better that way, though. Her commentary was just phenomenal.
1: Absolutely phenomenal and hilarious. And she really channeled her motherly, big sister advice, sort of peacemaker side of her in this episode. And I think mm-hmm. she feels like she's in a really good place with everyone, even Giselle. To watch Giselle and Ashley and Karen Huger on the back of that bus was truly one of the happiest moments ever and made me so just proud of them and really made me think about how incredible of a trio they could be if they could just fucking get along and how funny they are.
0: We've always said that the one thing that Giselle and Karen do do is they, even when they disagree, they have a mutual level of respect and admiration for each other as housewives. Like they understand the magnitude of each other's power kind of thing.
1: I know. And it's like as much as I love their feud and I almost never wanted to go away. I also was having the best time when they were just laughing and being friends. Oh my God. I don't even know where to start.
0: Okay. So listen, I am trying to choose my words carefully because I know that everybody has bad episodes, but I- was trying so hard to see from all sides here. And it's not that I didn't understand Candace's frustration. I really did. But I just felt she was so out of pocket for this. I felt it was really mean-spirited and there's nothing that I can say to defend her. I I don't know.
1: I know. And the problem was it was almost defensible last week and a little bit of this week when it was unclear if she was very briefed on Mia's situation and knew with all of her intentions that that was where Mia was in terms of making the mom comments. So then after Karen a million times clarifies it, even later, how the other women keep asking her and she brings it back to it again after knowing, that was when I was like, okay, at this point, there's just nothing we can say to defend you. And even if you don't like Mia per se, how could you go that low?
0: Yeah, I just think there are certain things that you don't do. It's similar to not bringing up the children. And I think that what was upsetting is like, if you want to choose one place to hit low, that's fine. But it was the combination of like, not only is she just continuing to hammer down about me as mom being low budget, but then every other word, it's like, okay, come on, G, get your bitch. Which in the process, it was like what we were talking about last week. It's like, if you want to have a certain issue with the person, that's fine. But why do you as a woman have to take down another woman for something that the world already will come at her for? It was just too much. I honestly think that all things considered, Mia handled it as well as one possibly could. You know, what did you want her to do? Not respond at all? She did hit back, but not in the way that she could have.
1: No, similar to what I said last week, I think Mia keeping herself calm, cool, and collected, yeah, she threw some lettuce, fine. But she didn't go there with her words. I think that pissed off Candace even more.
0: Oh, it absolutely did. Because also, you know- I don't think that Candace is necessarily used to that. Look at Ashley, look at Monique. You know, when I think back to some of her biggest fights, everybody was equally as energized in those. You know what I mean? And I think that Mia having a little bit more of a kind of laid back attitude was definitely pissing Candace off. I don't think that that was necessarily Mia's intention. Like, Yes, of course, the cooler you are typically, the more upset the other person gets. But I think that she was actually doing it as a self-preservation tactic because she knew she could really go there and she didn't want to. But as a byproduct, I do think it was making Candace more upset.
1: And she knew, I think she knew, that the other women and also the audience and the public and the viewers would all be on her side and recognize how low that was, especially after we've like got to meet and get to know her mom and hear Mia's whole story.
0: Well, I was about to say, you know, when she's sitting down with Karen and Karen really rises to the occasion and has those moments like we were talking about earlier of just being that real maternal figure and saying to Mia, you know, nobody is going to make you or your mother feel cheap. You see, of course, she breaks down, but she also kind of breaks the fourth wall in saying that if this conversation makes my mom relapse, you know, then you'll really see me get upset. And so I think also somewhere in her kind of non reacting was her being super conscious of her mom watching this
1: yeah it's like what we always talk about about that housewife guilt of bringing your family and friends into this and putting their shit out on this on the stage also and how potentially conversations the public have could affect their real lives i mean we see it later with brooks we see it with a million different people in million different ways but you're right it was a fourth wall break because technically in real life if the cameras aren't rolling candace could make a terrible comment like that and mia's mom would never have to know
0: Right. And and really, it's not just her mom seeing it, it's also the rest of her family seeing it, and her mom finding out that now other people are talking about it. You know, it's not something that you can keep under wraps even if you wanted to. Right. You know, there's just so much going on this episode. Like I'm looking at this outline and I'm trying to organize it in my mind because while all this is going on inside, we have an equally as entertaining conversation outside between Chris and Candace, where I really kind of felt for him and, and all of the husbands in a way of just wanting to keep the peace and not everything that he was saying was kind of falling on deaf ears. And I also can relate to Candace in that moment when you're just so upset that it doesn't matter what the other person is saying. And he was trying to approach it kind of logically, but when you're that emotional and we've all been there, it doesn't matter what the other person is saying. And so it just was kind of frustrating to watch.
1: Yeah. I feel like that was a theme throughout this whole episode was really seeing Chris deal with it on the spot because i feel like a lot of other times yeah he's been there he's been there for fights he's been part of fights but this was different that he got to be on the ground on the trip and like really deal with the circumstances with her in the moment and kind of pull her out of it and again later at dinner i don't know i just feel like he was a really critical part of this episode even with his conversation with ashley
0: oh no he totally was i mean Candace has every right to be upset that somebody called her music video shoot low budget. Absolutely. I just have to imagine that she would not have had that same reaction if she personally was 100% thrilled with the way that it went down. She wasn't. She was embarrassed at the lack of cars. She was frustrated by the fact that they had to rush because of the lights. She wasn't happy with the way that Chris did it. And she's not allowed, or she doesn't want to at least, on camera, get upset at Chris. She doesn't want to give her mom that satisfaction of voicing the frustration with the husband thing. And so in a way, yes, I think she was actually upset with Mia, but in a way, Mia was really just an outlet for the other frustration she was feeling, but didn't want to voice it because she knows that Mia's a little bit right. It wasn't that highest level production. And I think that this is not what she wants in the future.
1: No. And I also think she's still mad, of course, at Mia for going up to her mom and sort of instigating conversations about Chris and about the budget and about Candace's career overall, which I think is probably a really sore spot for Candace and her mom. So without bringing her mom into it and basically saying, yeah, my mom is a troublemaker and she's so judgy and like you really ruffled her feathers and got her all hyped up about all these topics that she loves to go in about. She has to make it more of a Mia thing and more focused on Mia instead of saying, You know, you got me in all this shit again with my mom, and you kind of egged her on. You called my thing low budget because I think that's the only like tangible, hard thing she can take that Mia said and turn it back around.
0: Right, exactly. She doesn't want to draw the attention to the fact that you riled my mom up. Like, that is not a conversation that Candace wants to have because once you really bring up Dorothy, then it brings up all of Dorothy's criticisms, which a lot of them are out of pocket, but a lot of them are kind of valid.
1: Right. (laughs) So yeah, exactly. But then how hypocritical is that? Because then this all loops back around to like the not wanting to talk about your mom thing.
0: It's so hypocritical. That's why I'm saying I... I feel for Candace because I think she's in a really rough position because voicing her actual frustrations would make her feel like her mom and everybody else won. So I get that. I just do not think that is an excuse to treat Mia in the way that she did. I'm sorry. I just think the parent thing and the kid thing hits below the belt. Like, Are we wrong in that? I didn't even really look online to see other people's opinions, but I can't imagine that people watch that and were on Candace's side, even if you dislike Mia.
1: I think you could also be on Candace's side but say, okay, that's not a cool comment to make after you've been briefed by everybody else there, and all of the women there, regardless on their feelings of Mia, seem to feel like, okay, that's just not cool.
0: And you know what was so crazy that later on when Candace was saying that she really saw the hurt in Mia's face, it wasn't as though she was saying she saw it and then she stopped. She saw it and she kept going. And later on, when somebody tells her that Mia was crying you know, she gets upset and whether or not that was real is kind of irrelevant because her entire point of continuing to hammer at her was to make her upset. So it's like, how can you feel bad when you achieved the exact thing that you were striving for?
1: Yeah. It was like, all right, this is already the fourth time. You can't now that Giselle is saying, oh, I heard Mia was crying. Be like, oh my God, she was, I had no idea. It's like, what were you expecting to happen?
0: I thought it was really interesting when a scholar was talking to Mia about how the low-budget comment hurt Candace's feeling, and she asked her the question very directly, you know, is the reason that you always talk about work and money because you didn't have it at one time? And Mia's response to that is, I talk about work and business because I work my ass off for it. And this really is... I mean, directly correlates to what we were talking about last week, where this has been one of Escala's frustrations with Mia since the beginning, since they were at Candace's pajama party. She finds it to be really self-righteous and kind of condescending the way that Mia talks about money, which I don't think it's her intention, but I completely understand why Escala feels that way. And I think that I probably would too, if I was in her position.
1: Yeah. And I also think Escala feels like okay, it's one thing to talk about business, but it's also another thing to talk about exactly dollar amounts and how much you make and sort of using it as a way and a weapon to compare yourself to other people and what they're doing and their business. And I don't know, I feel like ever since Mia used it as a diss of like, how many jobs do you have? How many companies are you a CEO of? She felt like, okay, this is not just someone being proud of their business. It's someone who looks down on other people who aren't maybe deemed as successful by her. And Mm -hmm. I think she saw it starting to move in that direction because of the whole conversation about low budget. And she just didn't want that to be a thing for the weekend, which I don't blame her for. But I feel like it had to, it has to be something that is a pattern with Mia even more than what we saw in that she would have to say, we can't talk about it for the rest of the weekend.
0: Totally. And you know what? I think that she's justified in that because it wasn't an additive conversation,
1: right? It wasn't, and it would only spark even more fights that were completely unnecessary. And by the
0: way, the counter argument to that for somebody that is like a diehard Mia fan that didn't want to see a side could be that you know that's not a fair criticism because just because this woman is you know a self-made businesswoman, she should be allowed to talk about it. It's not that though. I I think that's an unfair conflation. I I don't think that that's what Ascala was saying. I think she was just saying it is really impressive what you've built. It's not that I don't want you to talk about being an entrepreneur. It's just when you get into the specifics, it becomes a little bit abrasive.
1: And when you frame it more as a competition rather than raising everybody up and just being able to celebrate everybody.
0: Right. She brings it up in a way as her defense, not Mm -hmm. as just part of her story. Yes. This is so minor, but when they're standing around in a circle and G licks his lips at Karen and Karen says... And I quote, do you not know you're talking to the ambassador of Surrey County? Have some dignity.
1: I actually cackled out loud. I mean, I, Emma and I couldn't even, before we recorded this, we couldn't even wait to start to start talking about that one part.
0: I literally, I don't know where I was like, do you know you're talking to the ambassador of Surrey County? Have some dignity. That's our new line. I mean, that is the funniest thing I have ever heard. She was so on her shit this episode.
1: I feel like we need to overlay that with, I know it ain't, I know it ain't the style." know yes. <laughs> Anyway, Chris mopping up
0: the salad in the kitchen. You know what I, the meme that I was thinking of when I saw that? What? It was like the record scratch freeze frame. I know you're wondering how I got here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Me like sweeping a garden salad on the ch- wherever they were in the kitchen the with Ashley
0: Darby. I'm telling you, something that was not on his bingo card was mopping up salad on the floor of a Chesapeake Bay rental house <laughs> while having a conversation about Michael Darby with Ashley. There's just no way. While
1: being filmed for national television. Yeah. Like, I've
0: five years ago, he would have been like,
1: What? I know, I know we don't want to give him credit for the bare minimum because I think he's just being a supportive, good husband. But He just came across really well this episode. I don't know if it's because Candace had sort of poor behavior, but between cleaning up and kind of calming Candace down, and then this conversation with Ashley about how I know you and Candace don't always get along, and I know Michael and I aren't always on the same page, but I did want to say congratulations on baby number two. I still follow you on the Instagram. Motherhood looks real good on you.
0: And her response, your wife called me wide, and I didn't appreciate that, Chris his response. Ah, she uses a lot of adjectives.
1: <laughs> I think at that point he doesn't want to ever say anything negative about, about his wife, of course, and give Ashley even more fuel to say, even your husband thinks so. But I think it's kind of frustrating for him and he almost it sounded like he almost wanted to say we're working on it.
0: Right. I mean, what is he supposed to respond to that? Like that is an objectively a wrong comment. Candace calling Ashley wide, no matter whose side you're on, is just wrong. And so he doesn't want to die on the hill of defending his body-shaming wife. At the same time, the last thing he's ever going to do is side with Ashley. So he's kind of like, listen, I'm here along for the ride.
1: Yeah. And Ashley did appreciate it, I will say. Yeah. When they teach Karen what tossing the salad means. No, stop.
0: (laughs) She was saying it so innocently. (laughs) She's like, I could go home and toss my own salad. And they're like, uh... I know. I was just imagining Ray watching this scene back.
1: He's probably Googling. Hey, Siri,
0: what is tossing the salad? He's probably happy, though. He's probably like, oh, Karen's going to come home with- from Chesapeake Bay with some new tricks. <laughs> <laughs> Don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: so... I'm giving that. <laughs> Wait, so Robin and Giselle arrive and... They arrive like... I don't even know, a hurricane in the night.
0: I mean, I related to Robin so intensely in this episode because when you were on your period, just that feeling of like, get the fuck away from me. The last thing I would ever want is to have to go down a flight of stairs, to go to a bathroom, to share it with another person who's sleeping in the room with their spouse. Like absolutely fucking not, let me change my tampon in peace. And I so understood her frustration. It was palpable and I didn't find it to be an overreaction.
1: This was- just so annoying I felt for Robin but then for Giselle whose foot is broken which I forgot about and they don't really plan that out well but for Giselle to be having this conversation with Wendy about what bathroom am I supposed to use when we are coming off last week or the week before when Giselle said Wendy cannot use the bathroom in my house it just felt like a little bit of a too full circle moment for me. It was. I mean, what are the odds that it's two such specific things? Right. Like <laughs> we just need more bathrooms in this world is the end the end story here.
0: Right. And by the way, Giselle's not wrong in the sense that like, yeah, when you have a broken foot, you shouldn't have to go down a flight of stairs. Although you came a day late, what was she supposed to do? Put somebody else up there? Like it was just probably the wrong house, I guess, if you really want to call it like it is. And second of all, <laughs> that's karma for you.
1: I mean, Escala left her a crab cake on her bed. So,
0: yeah, that was kind of hilarious. <laughs> so, when Candace comes into the room and, you know, she greets Robin and Giselle, it was interesting what was going on here because they had already been briefed on what went on. And I feel like, tell me if you think this was an accurate read. I feel like when they were in the kitchen earlier, when the salad tossing was going on, Candace kind of got the sense that not, ev- not that everybody was against her, but that everybody kind of collectively felt as though she hit below the belt. And so I think that going into Robin and Giselle's room, she was excited to have fresh minds in on the situation. She could frame it for them however she wanted. And I think that she was gonna feel she had a little bit more of a backup. And so when she walks in and they already disapprove of the behavior because they heard about it, I think she was a little bit frustrated by that and kind of caught off guard.
1: Do you think that once Candace realized that they sort of disapproved of the way that she went about this fight, and that she really did go so below the belt, that sort of gave her the realization like, okay, maybe I didn't do this right. And the fact that they're sort of blurring doesn't matter whose side they're on, but they are vocal enough about not approving of how I behaved. Like, did that, do you think that sparked anything in her?
0: I don't really know, honestly. I, there's a part of me that thinks that she is fully aware and she actually recognizes that it was a little bit fucked up. But I also think that she's not the type that's going to, admit that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think she's committing to the role no matter what, and she's going to die on this hill that it's an equal callback. Like you call my music video low budget. I'm going to say that about your mom. I do think in her heart though, she knows that it was wrong. And potentially, yes, Giselle and Robin having that reaction maybe was a thing that really you know, hit that over the edge for her. I just, I really do not believe Candace is a bad person at all. I don't. I think that she's actually a kind hearted person. I just think that this sometimes gets the best of her, you know? And I think that she has a lot of insecurities regarding the stuff with Chris and some of the financial stuff with her mom that she hasn't fully dealt with alone. And it comes out in in ways that I don't think she's necessarily proud of, but I don't think she's unkind to her soul. Right. I am so obsessed with Eddie.
1: I've I was just this- pulling up your text when you texted me. I would die for Eddie Osefo (laughs) out of literally nowhere. Like this is also in our chat with Julie. We're just talking, sending TikToks. And out of nowhere, Emma goes, I would die for Eddie Osefo. I fucking love Eddie.
0: I was watching this episode with such a level of admiration for him. And I found myself watching him on the screen, very similar to how I was watching Kim host SNL. of just... (laughs) I was giddy. I was smiling the entire time. Every time he came on, I was like, first of all, you are such a good looking, happy man. And you guys are such a power couple. And I'm just so here for everything you do and everything you are.
1: What a chill, nice dude. And then they come out in their little matching like floral outfits. And Wendy has a pink Jack Moose bag. Come on. I can't believe they tried to bring Eddie down the beginning of the season. I was so not here for that.
0: No, we are not here for the Eddie takedown. And also, I'm going to choose to believe that those rumors are completely untrue until proven otherwise because I just don't see it in the cards. I'm sorry. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt.
1: Me too. I need some more solid evidence other than this one blog.
0: Michael Darby, I'll believe it any day of the week. Jamal, I'll believe it any day of the week. Eddie, no.
1: No. Also, I think that's the problem, or I guess the good thing, is that we have been so conditioned by Michael Darby and Jamal Bryant who their proof is literally in the pudding. Like it's all right. laid out there. Like we have full photos and videos of Michael Darby, literally mid cheating. And like Jamal right. has children with other people and people speaking out about him that you're going to come to me and tell me that Eddie cheated because someone said so one time. Like, no, I'm sorry. I You're going to need to level up.
0: Right. Give me a little bit more than that to make me turn my back on little old Eddie.
1: Yes. Okay. This dinner. What a good old time, even though it ended in shit. I mean, I was having the best time with those two tables behind them. Also because I've
0: never been to Chesapeake Bay, but didn't this feel like a restaurant that you have been to? I just feel like this is the type of restaurant that I have been somewhere in multiple states throughout my life.
1: Yes. I knew I knew what was on that menu before they even opened it. Right. Like I had such
0: a familiarity to the entire space. I could have told you what the bathrooms were going to be like, what the <laughs> texture of the menu was. Like I knew what the waitress vibe was. It was just one of those types of places that you just have been to before.
1: The bathrooms had like glass vases full of seashells and like right. a little like net hanging over it with a crab. Right. And you just know that that lobster roll is absolutely delicious. Oh my God. And so mayo-y. Oh, so mayo <laughs> Anyway- Anyway. Okay,
0: so it's just a lot. I mean, there's so much happening. I love the fact that clearly this was just like a funny thing that didn't end up going anywhere, the thing with the guys behind them at the table and their wives, but I love that Ashley is always thinking of Giselle in that way. Like it may seem so small, but I really I think the best way that I can put it is that I find Ashley when it comes to Giselle really wants to empower her to like just be her most, her sexiest self, kind Mm. of. I guess. Like her most self-respecting self, which may feel a little bit off considering the fact that I don't think anybody views Ashley being married to Michael Darby as something that necessarily is synonymous with self-respect necessarily. That being said, I think she really does try to empower other single women in her life.
1: Yeah, I love it too. I also just loved this element of them all interacting with other people in the restaurant because we've watched... Thousands of dinners where you just see the people around kind of looking at them, especially when things escalate. So then for them to really be interacting and Karen Huger going up to the table and telling these random men that she's going to be married to Ray for 25 years after they sent some shots like it just is so good because we don't that often see them interacting with people outside of the nuclear cast.
0: Well, also let us not forget the COVID element of it all, you know, in so many of these scenes for the last few seasons of a lot of these franchises, or I guess I should say the most recent season of multiple franchises, they really were in their own little bubble, you know, and think about Del Mar, they're driving separately. So I do love the fact that they are interacting with people around them because they can. Yeah.
1: (laughs) COVID-wise, I just really loved it. It was so fun.
0: I was just imagining like one of those guys' wives getting a YSL and then posting it on like Instagram, being like, I just want to thank Karen Huger for this. Like, that's <laughs> hilarious.
1: You know? Yeah, like, thanks at Karen, the official Karen Huger. Like, I love my new crossbody. Right. Like, that's so funny. <laughs> that is so funny.
0: Okay. Ashley, just grade A instigator. I mean,
1: nobody does like her. Nobody instigates. She just, she knows what to do. She asked Chris directly,
0: how do you feel about what happened earlier today between me and Candace? Did you want to come in and de-escalate the situation? Which again, it's like, I love that she's asking this question because all I want to do is talk about this. At the same time though, what is Chris supposed to say? His hands are tied behind his back. He's never going to go go against his wife, even if he fundamentally disagrees with the way that she
1: handled it. And Ashley is smart because she asks a question that is fair. Like she doesn't say something that would... Seem shady in nature, but I think she and everybody else at the table know what she's doing.
0: You know, it was interesting the way that Chris kind of took this question because he really deflected it and made it more about him and G's relationship and then used that as a way to kind of say, I would love to get to the place with Michael that I am with G of like, you guys can have your issues, but we don't have our own, which I understand what he was saying. And it's not that it's invalid necessarily, but he had his own issues with Michael separate and apart from anything with Candace.
1: Right, well, that was the big difference and that's sort of how they got into it here because at first I was like, oh, that's so nice. That is a really good point. But then I realized Michael was so involved in the drama and therefore Chris got involved in it with him and Michael inserted himself into so many different complications between the women that, of course, he was involved. Whereas this was just strictly between Mia and Candace and the men who had zero involvement, probably don't even know the actual like ins and outs of the argument, had nothing to do with it, and they were able to separate it.
0: Completely. And I want to say also, when Chris says back, I've never spoken about Michael, and Ashley says false, and then it flashes to the reunion, I understand what the editors were doing. Like they wanted to just provide an example of the time that Chris talked about Michael, but that was not a gotcha moment to me. What Chris was saying was, I do not tolerate this man disrespecting women, specifically my wife. That's not talking negatively about Michael behind his back. That's not making a comment about something superficial or some bullshit type of thing. That's making a very valid assertion about someone's character and the way that it directly impacts your wife. Like- that's not the same as Michael talking shit about Chris to Ashley at Robin's engagement party. Like those are two separate categories. You cannot compare Michael saying, well, this guy has a failed restaurant and he's this and that to him saying, I don't tolerate disrespect of women.
1: No, I, I agree with you. I don't think it really, one had nothing to do with the other. I don't think that scene was relevant. I also think it was from a reunion where they're prompted to talk about each other. And it's also after everything has already gone down. So, of course he's going to physically say something about Michael. That's not what we're trying to say here. I think they were trying to make the point of like, yeah, you have spoken about Michael before, but never in a way like Michael has about Chris or Michael has about other people.
0: No, I mean, I just don't think that Chris has it in his character in the way that Michael does. He's just a better person, objectively, I have to imagine. Yeah. What ends up happening here in the end of the scene between Ashley and Candace is really so representative of the fact that even though in so many ways candace and the rest of the cast has moved on from last season it just goes to show that between the two of them they really have not because what's happening here is ashley has growing frustration for the fact that she feels as though candace quote didn't learn her lesson and is doing the same instigating behavior that she was doing last year that caused the thing with monique which is understandable although that reasoning is kind of concerning because then it kind of falls in with the idea of like quote she deserved it which i will never subscribe to and then on the flip side of that Candace is still so upset with Ashley for her involvement in the sense of, you know, vouching for Monique legally. And so the, I don't even want to say mutual dislike. It's it's deeper than that. It's like the mutual disgust and the feeling of betrayal is so strong on both sides.
1: And it was there before the fight, kind of. And now ever since the fight and then the legal proceedings after and then how messy it got after the fight, It just, you're right. It's just so clear how it is still so there. And even though time has passed, the wounds have not healed. And there will always be resentment there from both sides. But specifically, Candace towards Ashley for getting involved in any legal capacity. I think it's been just hovering over and it's sort of unspoken. But then finally, it was like, Camille Grammer, now we said it. Like, I felt like, yeah, they've kind of hinted at it here and there. But finally, like, fucking get it out there and talk about like, this is why you guys both really don't like each other. And that fight was a huge deal. I mean, think about how we felt watching it and covering it. Imagine how they feel. Now they can't just go along like they're all hunky dory. Okay, Kathy. (laughs) I try. I mean,
0: to be honest with you, even though I know this entire episode, I really disagreed with Candace. Even if I don't think there was necessarily anything wrong with Ashley for helping Monique, I still so understand why Candace would be so upset with her. Like, if you are Candace, how are you ever going to be okay with the person that gave legal aid to the woman who assaulted you? Like, I really like Ashley, but I also do not expect Candace to necessarily move on from that. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't expect anyone at that table to do so.
1: No, but they keep fighting about things that have nothing to do with that and pretending that's the issue when really this is just the issue. And they're just fighting to fight because they still have this underlying anger.
0: Right, totally. I think the thing that Ashley is alluding to is like, yes, of course, the situation with Monique was the most traumatic for you, Candace, and nobody is denying that. But we all kind of went through this. And I think we all are trying to do everything in our power to avoid anything like that happening again. And so I think that Ashley's frustrated because she views it almost as like a slap in the face to the rest of the cast.
1: Right. Like it's a group dynamic. We all went through this together and we want to move forward from it. So when they see Candace exhibiting any behavior that even resembles something that went on between her and Monique, it almost feels like, why are you dragging us back into this?
0: Right, which I get, I do understand and I recognize the similarities. At the same time though, Ashley teeters on the line of saying that Candace deserved it. And like, I just can't subscribe to that, even though I agree that sometimes she does things that you you know can just make someone go crazy.
1: Right, no,
0: it's true. Nothing else major really happened in this episode, but you know, I just think it's interesting to watch the way that the rest of the cast kind of echoes Ashley's sentiments and the idea of like we are all so aware of last year and we're doing everything in our power to avoid it. And so I feel as though even someone like Robin, who was relatively uninvolved in the situation, is building up a little bit of resentment towards Candace.
1: Right, because I think they feel like we worked so hard to get out of it and it's starting to feel a little bit too similar. Yeah.
0: I don't know. It's just not a good situation. And now I think that, you know, me and Candace is just oil and water. I'm not saying there couldn't be a resolve, but it's definitely not gonna be one that's that's going to be able to get past easily.
1: All that being said, but what a fucking amazing episode.
0: Oh. I'm telling you, sleeping on Potomac is one of the worst things you can do for yourself.
1: No. <laughs> you know, however, on Twitter right now is doing red flags. Yes. Like, if you're sleeping on Potomac, red fucking flag. I Everywhere. don't even know. Like, honestly, if you like Bravo and Housewise enough to listen to our podcast and you're still not on the Potomac train, you just are doing something wrong. And that's just some, that's like a loving criticism from me to you.
0: Yes. And listen, Isabel, you were the one that got me on it. And I'm so grateful for you every single day.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much.
0: No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify Eye Drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. I thoroughly enjoyed this episode of Salt Lake City. I don't know about you.
1: Of course, I loved it.
0: I never in my wildest dreams thought that we would be getting a Brooks Marks Jen Shaw sit-down in this formal way, but I was so glad it happened.
1: I never thought either, but it just made so much sense. It was hilarious,
0: Brooks kind of delicately repositioning Meredith to the bar.
1: Like being three feet away where she can kind of hear everything but also pretend to be on her phone in her little red suit. I mean just a beautiful shot cinematography wise like the two of them sitting at the table and then Meredith slightly blurry in the background it was everything and if you had showed us that after like the first or second episode of Salt Lake City ever we'd be like what the fuck did you realize that they went to this restaurant twice this episode did they really yeah (laughs) I guess there's a small grouping of restaurants in Salt Lake City that will let you film yeah exactly oh my god that's so funny
0: (laughs) you little location hoe I know, I'm such a slut for a location, I can't help it.
1: I mean, I would never have noticed, but you just, it's the first thing you look at. <laughs> I wanna start
0: this conversation by saying, I still maintain that I believe Jen Shaw's 0% in the sense that I 100% think that it was her that liked and responded and did everything with her social media as it applies to Brooks. I'm not saying she doesn't have a social team, but I think that when it came to Brooks, she was either the one that directly pressed like, or she gave direct instruction to do so. That being said, I thought she handled herself as well as she physically could in this situation. If she was going to still maintain that lie, I think she was as genuine as she knows how to be.
1: Yes. I think she could have obviously copped to lying and, you know, gone down that whole slippery slope. But you're right. As long as this was her story and she was sticking to it, I do feel like she genuinely was really sorry to Brooks I think like both things can be true I think in the heat of the moment and as the season was premiering and when she was really pissed off and wanted to kind of get revenge and join this conversation online she was liking all of those things but I also think it's true that now looking into Brooks's eyes and hearing the pain and really talking out the consequences of her actions even though she doesn't admit that her actions she also can feel really bad and I think she kind of handled it in a good way and made Brooks feel heard and understood and hopefully that it won't happen again, especially enough that she will now win Meredith back as a friend because I do think all in all, that's her number one priority.
0: Right. I mean, listen, if Meredith and Brooks can get past the fact that she is still going to lie about not actually doing it, like if they can accept that's not something that she is ever going to cop to, then I think there's a real potential for them to move past it. Because if if that's something that they're gonna be stuck on, which by the way, if they wanted to, that's completely justifiable and understandable. But if they're willing to move past that, then I think that they can recognize that she is willing to say she was in the wrong. And also, you know, I really dislike Jen fundamentally. I disagree with pretty much everything about her. That being said, I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt that she is a mother and she can look at Brooks and see him through the eyes of like she would see her sons. And I don't think she wants to hurt this young kid. I don't think that she wants to. I think that she was reckless in doing so and she wanted to come out on top. But I think hearing his pain, I have to imagine she has some humanity in her that her empathy and and compassion was present. I'm going to give her that that benefit of the doubt. Yeah,
1: I think it's the classic case of hiding behind your screen. It's so easy to say things and like things and be a troll and engage in this like anti-Brooks rhetoric, whatever it may be while you're just sitting at home and you don't have to face him. But then when you're face to face and you're really with a person and you realize liking tweets about him, although you're not necessarily saying it out loud, but giving those things your stamp of approval and your attention are actually having an effect on this person that you didn't feel before. I think it completely changes it. I mean, celebrities talk about this all the time. Imagine if some of the things that trolls say, even in our DMs, but imagine like to real big celebrities, the things that they get—if they said that to their face, it would be a completely different conversation.
0: Oh, it would never happen. That's the whole thing, right? Right. I want to talk about Jenny and Whitney at lunch because this scene can't be viewed in a vacuum. Like, this is not just a new housewife meeting with a former season housewife. No. To me, I was looking at this as Lisa's friend having lunch with Whitney. Like, it's now gotten to the point where. The battle between Lisa and Whitney is so intense that I have lost all ability to view people they interact with not under the lens of like who's their loyalty to.
1: Especially because the dynamic in Salt Lake specifically is very much whose side are you on in general. Like they're very much a picking sides kind of group. And maybe that's just because they're fresh and there's not like so much history behind their relationships. But yeah, I just thought it was an interesting move because of the way we're introduced to Jenny that she would go to dinner with her. But then when you think about it, it, yes, that's how we're introduced to her, but she still is her own woman. It's just hard as viewers to sort of like compartmentalize their relationship and realize like she is her own individual.
0: Totally. And And it was actually great because they got along so well. They have a lot in common. I felt like they were Really vibing, and they are both to me come across as like very non judgmental. And I actually really appreciated their conversation. And I was just waiting for the least of it all to be brought up. And when it was, I actually thought that both ends handled it really respectfully because I don't think that Jenny made Whitney feel crazy for her dislike towards Lisa. But I also think that, you know, she didn't turn her back on Lisa and she basically said, This is my experience with her. And Whitney was like, I have yet to see that side of her. You know, it it wasn't like, I'm going to try to get you to like her or I'm going to try to get you to hate her. It was like, we clearly have seen two different sides of Lisa and maybe I can work towards seeing the side that you see.
1: Right. And I think that was a perfect response from Jenny because like you said, it didn't make Whitney feel crazy. It almost validated that her feelings are allowed, but then also shared her side of the experience. And I think Lisa would be happy to watch that, knowing that Jenny had her back but didn't go too hard for her. You know, I mean, maybe she would say, why did not you back me up more? But it felt like a perfectly appropriate response for someone that also was trying to form her own relationship with Whitney in the meantime.
0: I have to imagine that Lisa would not be so bitter to be upset at the fact that Jenny was filming with Whitney. Like I think she recognizes when you're coming in as a new housewife, you do scenes with different people. I don't think that she would view that as a betrayal in the way that she viewed it with Angie. Not that either one is valid, but I don't think that Lisa is that out of touch with reality.
1: No, I agree with you. We On the topic of Angie, Mm -hmm. something I want to bring up very quickly is that Aubrey, the woman who owns, quote, the catering company that was in question last week, has posted a ton of stuff on her Instagram. Um, her handle is at Aubrey Nicoli, N-I-C-C-O-L-I. And she basically goes on and shows a lot of her texts with Angie about canceling the event and how Angie sort of created this whole storyline and that it was all false and that they ended up canceling it because they didn't want to highlight their catering. They're focusing more on their restaurant group and that they sort of subbed it out for something else. It's a ton of really interesting receipts. I recommend you read them. And if it comes back again with this whole plot line, we'll include them. It's just a lot of reading for today when it's not required.
0: Will you put the link in the description though? Because I feel like people will want to see that. Of course. I also feel really vindicated on Lisa's behalf.
1: Same, because it felt like a weird move. And I, I- But like we kept saying, the fact that everyone was so quick to believe it and felt like it was such an on-brand move for her is also not a really good thing, whether she did it or not.
0: Oh, no. That was telling. I mean, you can't deny that.
1: No, because for other people, like let's say they were blaming Heather or somebody else, they would say, there's just no fucking way. That's just not in her character. Or they'd at least question it. But for everybody to immediately say, yep, classic Lisa Barlow,
0: it's, it's not what you want to hear. It's not yeah. a fond thing to look back on if you're watching this episode. No, definitely not. I don't remember if we talked about this last week or not, but I feel like you and I, something that we talk about a lot off podcast is just how happy we are that Heather
1: and Meredith have this budding friendship because I feel like they're both of our front runners. Oh, obsessed with them. And this conversation between the two of them was so just cute and normal and real. And it really reminded me how fresh off of you know leaving the Mormon church and sort of her like deep culture that Heather is, she is still kind of new to this. And I think she looks to Meredith for her advice, especially when they were talking about sending their kids to college and condoms and sex. And you remember that Heather is sort of still getting her sea legs and figuring out how people do things differently.
0: Totally. I mean, I think that because Heather is so transparent in the way that she handles all of this, it's, it's true. You completely Kind of forget. But it was what I appreciated about this conversation is that, yes, of course, it gave them something to film. But to me, this was such a real and vulnerable interaction because I think Heather is really struggling with wanting to communicate with her children in a way that she would have felt supported if she were them, but she doesn't really have the tools. And so to be able to rely on Meredith and for Meredith to provide her a place of no judgment and just like, yeah, I'll talk to about anything you want to talk about. We're both mothers in this. We're both figuring it all out. I felt was just very endearing.
1: And no judgment of like her past or what the way she views situations, just Meredith saying, this is my normal and sort of giving her a feeler of how people maybe in other cultures or different ways do things. Totally.
0: Also, I want to talk about Mary and Whitney because-
1: Oh, you mean this is the most chaotic entrance of a scene of all time?
0: Honestly, I think that Bobby Rose will just never recover.
1: No, she's going to be in therapy at 50 years old talking about this scene and replaying it over and over.
0: It was really something. I mean, I, I just, the the way that Mary has this ability to, to jump from such different vibe subject matters with such
1: ease, it's like remarkable and also a little bit concerning. Mary Cosby and Ashley Darby on Watch What Happens Live was... Something I didn't know I needed in my heart, but once I saw it, it just all made sense.
0: No, sh- this woman was born for reality television, and her ever being off the show would be an absolute disgrace.
1: Even if she brings nothing, like plot wise and drama wise, whatever everybody always says they need, I don't care. I don't care. Keep her around. Yes, yeah, no, she has to say.
0: I, you know, I really liked this because. Mary had a really good perspective on the Whitney Lisa thing because she said directly to Whitney's face, like, there is something about Lisa that you want to be friends with. And in her confessional, she was so spot on in what she was saying. Like, Whitney wouldn't be so upset by this if she didn't think that Lisa Barlow had a sense of a cool factor and there's a level of validation that she craves from Lisa. And I think what's admirable about Whitney is that she doesn't let her ego get in the way too much. She kind of acknowledges that. you know. She doesn't think that when Mary says it, that it's this really outlandish statement. She kind of can understand where she's coming from. And I appreciate that because all you want as the viewer is for all of these cast members to have a level of self-awareness. And I think that Whitney has a higher self-awareness than a lot of them do, specifically
1: Lisa. Totally. It's like you have to think about what everybody watching this situation might see. And instead of waiting for everybody to be screaming at their TV, when you're self-aware, it feels like, okay, you're kind of feeling out all of the different scenarios and you're not taking everything so personally and figuring out what could factor into my decision and my feelings.
0: Right. And also, you know, this situation that she has with Lisa is not really similar to any other issues she's had with other people. Not to say she didn't have fights with some of the other cast members, but The specifics of the issues with Lisa, I just do not think are consistent with what she's had with anyone else. So it does make her kind of evaluate, like, what's really going on here? And let me get introspective for a second. And that's one of the reasons that I so appreciate Whitney.
1: It is interesting, though, how this fight was a lot of Heather and Whitney together versus Lisa and sort of them being on the same page with how they feel about her. But Heather has sort of like melted into the background a bit and maybe isn't taking it as to heart or maybe they just haven't had as many sort of run-ins and interactions the way that Whitney and Lisa have like with her ignoring her and all of those things that I feel like Heather maybe has sort of brushed it off but I w- am curious to see if it comes up again and if how it plays out in terms of Whitney and Lisa now rekindling because what if Heather's like okay yeah but what about me?
0: Well I think the two things there the first is that in terms of Heather's conflicts, it's more was focused on Jen, mm-hmm. you know, like the equivalent, it's different, but the equivalent of Whitney and Lisa is Heather and Jen in the igloo, first of all. And then second of all, you know, the Angie element of it.
1: Yeah, that is true. The Angie element has really just stirred it up, but I still feel like, yeah, it did bring everything to a head, but Heather still, even pre-Angie was on the same page as Whitney was. So... I'm curious because also she was really standing up for Meredith and Lisa was trying to mend the two. It's like, it is very messy when you get down into the web of it.
0: Oh, it's very messy. It's very messy. What did you think about this gin tasting lunch between Lisa and Whitney? Like, what do you think in terms of level of resolve?
1: I think Lisa is just caught off guard by how sort of blunt Whitney is willing to be because I think that's not really Lisa's nature. She is blunt in certain ways, but she's not really willing to like examine the situation together in the same way that Whitney is. So I think Lisa was like, okay, whoa, this is like a lot going on. And especially when, you know, Lisa's trying to make this comment of like our husbands, you know, we're saying that they want us to be friends. haha. Ha, and I thought we were friends. And Whitney's like, well, we're not friends from my perspective. Like she wasn't just going to give into that. So I think it was productive overall, though. I really do. I think they, for the first time, ever heard each other and sort of understood like where things were coming from. I think Lisa's excuse pretty much for everything was like, you just aren't understanding me and it's all misinterpretation, which is a little bit of a cop-out. But I think Whitney was maybe able to see a glimpse of potential. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think I agree. I think it's the situation of like, you kind of have to meet somebody where they are. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think Lisa was ever going to handle this in the way that Whitney was because Whitney was so transparent. And I don't think she came across as defensive at all. I think that she was really just open. I think that Lisa definitely has her guard up a little bit more, but I think this was the best Lisa Barlow could do it. And I'm willing to give her credit for that because, you know, towards the end when Whitney really challenges her on the claiming thing. Lisa responds, again, in my opinion, to the best of her ability, which is, I didn't mean it that way. I've been friends with them for 25 years. If I saw her having discord with someone, I would never seek them out. And I felt like she was seeking you out. And I think that's where you're sensing my defensive energy. It's not that you necessarily have to agree with that, but I will give her props for being able to say that.
1: Me too. And I also don't even think it's so much that Lisa has her guard up anymore. I think in her opinion, this is As vulnerable as she could be, and that she knows how to be. So, if she's giving anything and the effort is there, I'll give her an A for effort. Right. I mean, listen, the fact that they met up solo was a big deal. Right. It is. I mean, for Whitney, it was definitely a big deal because it's showing that she's giving Lisa even a chance. And for Lisa, it's acknowledging that there is something there that has to be spoken about.
0: I think they could be friends. I'm not saying they would ever be best friends because I think that. There is truth to the fact that Lisa looks down on her. Like, I just think whether it's conscious or not. But I kind of could see them getting along. I don't think it's so crazy.
1: Well, that's the thing is like Whitney, when she says to her, like, you don't think I'm uncool or have something you don't like about me or whatever. And Lisa is saying, no, no, no. It's not her conscious thoughts that we're worried about. It's her subconscious. And it's hard for her to tap into it, I think. But I do think that they could be friendly. And I think if this bullshit with Angie is resolved and the three of them can sort of come together and hang out maybe in groups of three and then it sort of softens it, hopefully that could be what makes it work.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely think it's possible. Anything is possible. I
1: I mean, we saw Karen Huger and Giselle talking about teabagging in the back of a sprinter van. Anything is possible.
0: Ain't that the goddamn truth? (laughs) Wow, say that again. Yeah, And, and just last thing that I wanna say is that there's no part of me that thinks that Whitney should like quantify her coolness level by Approval from Lisa Barlow, like do not get it twisted. That being said, I don't want her to ever have to continue to sit with this feeling. And so I think that the resolve will be more beneficial for her than it would be for Lisa because I think it's weighing on her heavier than it is on Lisa.
1: Yeah. And I also think, though, as time goes on and Whitney sees how many people maybe don't approve of Lisa, it will make her feel like, okay, you know what? Her opinion isn't all that I cracked it up to be. So I think things will just smooth out. I really do. Yeah. Good episode. Good episode. Wow. Really good episodes this week. Holy shit. I know. I know. I know. I had the time of my life. I know. (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, we love you guys so much. Thank you as always for listening and letting us do this. And we will see you next week.